The ACBE Forum, Volume 62, February 2024, Number 8. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Nancy Gahagan and Bart Morse in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6200 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 155, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the Combined Federal Campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 518-906-1820 and choose option 8. Tune in to ACB Media at www.acbmedia.org or by calling 518-906-1820. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at ACB National or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash ACBNATIONAL. Copyright 2024, American Council of the Blind. Dan Spoon, Interim Executive Director, Sharon Lovering, Editor. 225 Rydeckers Lane, Suite 660, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. Table of Contents. Registration is now open for the 2024 ACB Leadership Conference. Collaboration at our 2024 Conference and Convention by Janet Dickelman. Get curious, explore, become engaged, and focus on making impactful contributions, by Kenneth Semyon Sr. Summary of the November and December board meetings, resolutions, new hires, D.C. Leadership Conference, the budget, and more, by Penny Reader. Free to be free, why human rights matter, by David Mandel. My Right to Vision Through Books, by Cheryl Cummings. ACB of Maine Wins the Right to Accessible Electronic Absentee Ballots, by Lynn Merrill, with Pauline LaMontagna, Nicholas Judici, and Cheryl Peabody. Washington Council of the Blind's Work on Accessible Voting, 2023, by Judy Brown. Equipping the Blind, Saving Lives Around the World, by James Beam. Progress Over Perfection, by Haley Agers. Are You a Thermometer or a Thermostat Leader? by Randy Conley. Affiliate News. Special Interest Affiliate Spotlight. Turn a Page. Join Lua in 2024. by Carla Rushevel, President. Here and There, edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins. 
iTech Swap Shop. Upcoming forum themes and deadlines. April 2024. Multicultural Affairs Committee. Deadline, February 23, 2024. May 2024. Theme, TBA. Deadline, March 25, 2024. How to submit articles to the forum. If you wish to submit an article to the ACB Braille Forum, please send it via email to slovering at acb.org as part of the message or attached as a Word or ASCII text file. Articles should be between 500 and 800 words. Language should be family-friendly. Longer articles may be divided into two or more parts. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, slovering at acb.org. Give her the information, and she'll make the changes for you. Registration is now open for the 2024 ACB Leadership Conference. ACB's 2024 Leadership Conference will be a hybrid event. ACB's board meeting, president's meeting, legislative seminar, and Capitol Hill visits will take place between Friday, March 1st and Tuesday, March 5th at the Sheraton Pentagon City Hotel in Arlington, Virginia. To register, visit members.acb.org. Log into your account or create an account by clicking the Create an Account button. If you have an account but don't remember your username and or password, please call our Minnesota office at 612-332-3242 or our Virginia office at 202-467-5081. Once you have logged in, visit the DC Leadership Registration link at the top of the page. Read through the instructions and hit the Begin with Preferences button. To register by phone, call our Minnesota office at 612 332-3242, or our Virginia office at 202-467-5081. The room rate for the Sheraton Pentagon City Hotel is $149 per night, plus tax. This rate applies to any night starting on Sunday, February 25th through Friday, March 8th. The Sheraton Pentagon City Hotel is located at 900 South Orem Street, Arlington, Virginia, 22204. To make a reservation at the Sheraton, visit tinyurl.com slash numeral 4 WSFJ numerals 344 or call 1-800-325-3535 and inform the Marriott representative that you will be attending the ACB Leadership Seminar to receive the group rate. The room block cutoff date is Monday, February 12, 2024. If you experience any issues booking a room, please email Caitlin Herrera at k-h-e-r-r-e-r-a at acb.org. The schedule of events is as follows. Friday, March 1, Afternoon Tour, TBD, and Evening Open House at the new ACB office in Alexandria, Virginia. Saturday, March 2, Board meeting, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and evening welcome reception. Sunday, March 3, President's meeting, including luncheon, and evening dine-around in Pentagon City. Monday, March 4, Legislative Seminar, including luncheon. 
Tuesday, March 5, attendees may visit Capitol Hill to meet with their representatives. More details will appear in Dots and Dashes and on the Washington Connection, 1-800-424-8666, as well as on the ACB email lists. Collaboration at our 2024 Conference and Convention by Janet Dickelman We will be partnering with the Blinded Veterans Association for a week to remember. BVA and ACB will share the exhibit hall, which will bring new and exciting exhibitors to the convention. When registering for the convention, you will be able to register for BVA events, and we will utilize the same information desk, volunteers, and AV resources. This will be a wonderful opportunity for everyone. Announcing the 2024 Talking Book Narrator Mayor Trevathan has narrated 667 talking books for NLS. She has her own website, mayortrevathan.com, M-A-R-E-T-R-E-V-A-T-H-A-N.com, where she has posted this as an introduction. Hi, I'm Mayor. Rhymes with dare. She, her. I have narrated over 850 audiobooks, recording for Podium, Dreamscape, National Library Service, Audible, Analog Friends, and others. I voice a lot of commercials, explainers, and character stuff, too. I have deep experience performing Shakespeare, but also love non-traditional performance. In recent years, I've performed in one-on-one theater at the Denver Museum of Contemporary Art, directed microtheater in a bookstore, and Denver's Central Library for Off Center, and worked with architects in Ahmedabad, India, creating Dance About Buildings with Shubra Rajay. I'm an associate artist at local theater company, a board member with Idea Stages, and a frequent instructor with Think360 Arts and Denver Center Theater Education. Since this year's convention will be in Jacksonville, Florida, all times listed below are Eastern Time. As we did in 2023, we will begin convention events virtually. Wednesday, June 19, Candidates Forum, 7 p.m. Saturday, June 22, don't miss our hugely popular virtual summer auction. Monday, June 24, 7 p.m., call to order, standing rules, first credentials report, first reading of constitution and bylaws report, 7.30 p.m., nominating committee. Wednesday, June 26, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., exhibitor open house. Thursday, June 27, through Saturday, June 29, 10 a.m. to 6.45 p.m., virtual-only programming, affiliate business meetings, ACB committee, special interest affiliates, and business partner sessions. Hotel details. Room rates at the Hyatt Riverfront in Jacksonville are $99 per night plus tax. To make reservations online, go to tinyurl.com slash numeral 2, TU, numeral 9, VP, numeral 5, M. If you prefer to make reservations by phone, call 1-800-233-1234 and use code G-ACOB. Now for the in-person portion. Friday, July 5 will be the ACB board meeting, our first tours, and the Welcome to Jacksonville party. Beginning Saturday, July 6 through Wednesday, July 10, Committees, special interest affiliates, and business partners may hold events in Jacksonville. During session times, we will have two hybrid rooms, 
offer two Zoom-only sessions, and provide space for other sessions that are in-person only. In-person-only sessions, excluding mixers and other purely social events, will not be recorded. Other events can be recorded by ACB and will be available as podcasts, but they will not have Zoom capability. In addition to the two hybrid rooms, we can hold up to six concurrent sessions. General Sessions This year, due to scheduling and required ballroom setup, the opening general session will be held on Sunday evening, July 7, at 7 p.m. On Monday, July 8, from 9 to 11.30 a.m., there will be two breakout sessions determined by the Advocacy Steering Committee. These sessions will both be hybrid. This was a very popular feature last year and allowed our AV team to make any needed adjustments to the ballroom. Daily general sessions Tuesday and Wednesday will be from 8.30 to noon and Thursday from 8.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. Exhibit Hall Based on feedback from the 2023 convention survey and from a questionnaire we sent our vendors, this year's exhibit hall will open on Sunday, July 7 from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday and Tuesday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Wednesday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Staying in touch. The conference and convention announce list will be filled with information. To subscribe to the list, send a blank email to acbconvention plus sign subscribe at acblists.org. A-C-B-C-O-N-V-E-N-T-I-O-N plus sign S-U-B-S-C-R-I-B-E at A-C-B-L-I-S-T-S dot org. If you received updates for the 2023 convention, you do not need to resubscribe to the list. For any convention-related questions, please contact Janet Dickelman, Convention Chair, at 651-428-5059 or via email, janet.dickelman at gmail.com. J-A-N-E-T dot D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at gmail dot com. Get curious, explore, become engaged, and focus on making impactful contributions by Kenneth Semyon Sr. The Durwood K. McDaniel, DKM, Fund Committee seeks to identify five curious ACB members who have demonstrated leadership potential and have an eagerness to enhance their lives and others they meet through personalized leadership development activities. Apply to join the class of 2024 ACB J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows by completing an online application for consideration. The link to apply will be announced on various ACB lists and on the ACB website. The ACB J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows Award brings five recipients to join us in Jacksonville, Florida for the 63rd Annual ACB Conference and Convention from July 5 to 12, 2024. You may currently serve in a leadership role or have served in a leadership role previously and wish to renew your interest in engaging in the work of ACB, your affiliate, or chapter. This award could be of support. Therefore, if you meet the criteria below, we invite you to learn more about and participate in ACB's Advanced Leadership Development Program. To be eligible for consideration, each applicant must be 18 or older, blind or visually impaired, and current on ACB membership dues. Applicants must be able to travel independently, navigate the convention hotel, and request support when necessary. 
Applicants will experience a 30-minute interview with a team of DKM committee members during mid-April. In addition, a letter of recommendation must be submitted by the applicant's state or special interest affiliate president. Applicants are to be sure that they meet the award criteria before requesting a letter of recommendation. The letter of recommendation should include the applicant's demonstrated leadership qualities, potential, and contributions on any level within the organization or in their local community. The DKM program and ACB honor recipients by funding round-trip air travel and supporting transportation, hotel accommodations, double occupancy, per diem allowance for meals and incidentals, reception, banquet tickets, the general convention registration fee, and other determined activities. Optional tours and other fun activities are not covered by the program. The responsibilities of each recipient include, but are not limited to, attending the full week of conference and convention activities from Friday, July 5 through the end of Thursday, July 11, participating in daily general sessions and the Keys to the Convention seminar, along with special interest and committee seminars, while making efforts to interact with ACB leaders and fellow members. The applicant submits an online application, and the affiliate president submits a letter of recommendation to Kenneth Semyon Sr., S-E-M-I-E-N, dot k at o-u-t-l-o-o-k dot com to be received no later than April 3rd. Recipients will be selected by the ACB president and executive director during the latter part of April. Recipients will be notified shortly thereafter. All questions should be sent to DKM Chair Kenneth Semyon Sr., s-e-m-i-e-n dot k at o-u-t-l-o-o-k dot com or dial 409-866-5838. Summary of the November and December Board Meetings Resolutions, New Hires, D.C. Leadership Conference, The Budget, and more by Penny Reader. Final meetings of the ACB Board of Directors in 2023 dealt primarily with budgetary concerns and culminated in the Board's approval of an ACB budget for 2024. The first of the three meetings, which took place on November 28, included an executive session, during which a representative from ACB's investment firm provided an overview of market trends and the status of ACB's investments. And CFO Nancy Becker outlined the process which the board uses to approve the annual budget for each coming fiscal year. The public portion of the November 28 meeting was streamed live on ACB Media 6, and the podcast of that meeting is available here, tinyurl.com slash m numeral 7 tp numerals 327 e. Both December meetings were held in executive session, and the resulting action taken by the board was approval of the 2024 budget for the American Council of the Blind. November 28, 2023. President Deb Lewis called the meeting to order at 8 p.m. Eastern. All board members were present. The proposed agenda was adopted. Approval of minutes from the fall board meeting was postponed until a later meeting. During her president's report, Deb addressed a resolution which the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI, had written in response to a discussion at the September 30 board meeting, 
concerning how ACB collects demographic data related to the various categories that are used to define low vision, legal blindness, and blindness. CCLVI's resolution suggests that ACB should use four separate categories, i.e. sighted, visually impaired, legally blind, and low vision. Deb said that what ACB is asking is how members self-identify their level of visual acuity, not how the medical profession or governmental entities define their visual status. ACB asks members to check one of three categories related to impaired vision, i.e., I identify as blind, I identify as low vision, or I identify as sighted. Deb had discussed the approach that ACB is using with Zelda Gebhardt, who had shared the CCLVI resolution with ACB leaders. Zelda said CCLVI approves the approach ACB is taking. Jeff Tom commented, I think the way we are doing this is totally appropriate. We are using the least confusing method for gathering this data. Any other way would cause difficulties for some people, and that's not what we want to happen. Deb reminded state and special interest affiliate presidents, as well as directors, that opportunities remain for them to opt into the ACB CARES Board Affiliate Liaison Program. During his executive director's report, Dan announced that ACB had hired a new human resources specialist. In addition to coordinating all aspects of the search to recruit and hire a person to serve in Clark Rockfall's recently vacated position as Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Dan said HR Specialist Sayuri Nike is also assisting with some of the graphic design and social media responsibilities that Kelly Gask was handling before she left. ACB hopes to have a new Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs on board by the first or second week of January. The office staff is also hoping to move into their permanent suite at the new Alexandria office location early in the new year. Dan thanked Rick Morin, Larry Gassman, Jeff Bishop, Deb, and others who manage information technology aspects of our online presence for their hard work to transition several of ACB's websites from the Azure to the Pantheon platform. The transition improves ACB's ability to administer our server and troubleshoot when problems arise. In the middle of the gala and the auction, in between everything, he said, the IT team migrated ACB.org, ACBmedia.org, and the ACB Mini Mall all to the Pantheon platform. Everything is up and running. There are no glitches. And we've also moved the ADP website to a different platform as well. It will actually cost us less to maintain this environment and we have the added security of knowing we are in a well-maintained and a well-protected host environment for our websites. Dan thanked everyone for their enthusiastic participation in the ACB Media Holiday Auction. There were more than 175 items, he said. We raised over $30,000, and it was great to have everyone out there having fun. Thanks to everyone for all your truly hard work. After some discussion, the board approved the proposed calendar for the 2024 D.C. Leadership Conference.
Deb said that in order to respond to preferences which board members and affiliate leaders had expressed, the conference will be shorter this year. A no-cost tour, possibly at one of the Smithsonian museums, will be scheduled for Friday afternoon, and the board meeting will be scheduled for Saturday, March 2. The president's meeting will occur on Sunday, March 3, and the legislative seminar will be scheduled on Monday, March 4. Tuesday will be the day when affiliate representatives travel to Capitol Hill. Dan said he wanted to especially thank administrative assistant Caitlin Herrera for the great job she had done working with the hotel and pulling all of the details and events together. He said that ACB is tentatively planning to host all attendees at their new Alexandria offices on Friday evening, March 1. Then, after the board meeting ends on Saturday, March 2, there will be a reception at the hotel for everyone attending the leadership conference. The president's meeting will be hybrid and available on Zoom, and breakout sessions will be included. On Sunday night, ACB plans to sponsor another dine-around event, like the one that was so popular at the 2023 Leadership Conference. The legislative seminar panels will also be hybrid and available on Zoom. The nightly hotel rate, which will be applicable through Tuesday night, March 5, is $149. Hotel amenities include a full-service restaurant and a free shuttle to and from Reagan National Airport. The fee for in-person registration entitles attendees to the hotel reception on Saturday evening and lunch on both Sunday and Monday. During the weeks prior to the legislative seminar, ACB will hold a community call related to each of the legislative imperatives, and everyone who travels to the Hill will have access to printed materials related to ACB's advocacy goals, which they can distribute to the legislators with whom they schedule meetings. Convention Coordinator Janet Dickelman provided a brief update on plans for the 2024 ACB convention. To accommodate the needs of exhibitors who will likely be attending the NFB convention in Orlando immediately prior to coming to the ACB convention in Jacksonville, ACB will open the exhibit hall on Sunday between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. After that, exhibits will be open between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. on Monday and Tuesday, and from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Wednesday. This year's opening general session will be scheduled for Sunday evening. Two concurrent breakout sessions, like those which were very popular at the 2023 convention, will be scheduled on Monday morning. ACB's convention committee is working closely with planners from the Blinded Veterans Association, BVA, to assure efficient collaboration as both organizations share the hotel space and take advantage of expanded opportunities in the shared exhibit hall. The final topic on the agenda for the November 28 board meeting focused on the search for an executive director. Deb reminded the board that the executive search committee, which she had appointed at the end of September, included Deb, Kim Charlson, Jeff Tom, Michael Garrett, Dan Spoon, and Nancy Becker. Deb said that human resources specialist Sayuri Nike was preparing the draft job description based on input from the search committee, and they expected to present the job description to the board for their approval at the December 11 board meeting. 
The search committee expects to post the vacancy immediately following the board meeting, to keep it open for about a month, and to present candidates for the board to interview thereafter. Deb said that the committee aims to present a final candidate for the board's approval and to introduce them as the permanent executive director of ACB by the opening of the leadership conference in March. Ideally, she said, they will be on board shortly after the leadership conference and fully functional by the beginning of convention in July. The last item discussed at the meeting involved the Join ACB page on ACB's website. Terry Pacheco reminded the board that she had raised the issue at several prior meetings and nothing had been done to address the situation. The webpage continues to encourage people to join ACB as at-large members or even friends of ACB without providing equivalent information or emphasis regarding opportunities available to people who also need to know about our affiliates and how to join them. After some discussion, Ray Campbell stated that he would bring the topic to the attention of the Membership Steering Committee for their deliberation and recommendations, and he invited Terry to participate in their next scheduled meeting. The public meeting adjourned about 11 p.m. December 4 and 11 Executive Sessions at the December 4 meeting, the board considered the revenue side of the proposed budget as well as the budget for convention. At the December 11 meeting, in addition to considering the expense side of the budget, the board approved minutes from the fall board meeting, approved the job description for the executive director position, and were updated about progress toward hiring a new director of advocacy and governmental affairs, which, Dan told the board, he expected to do before the end of the year. The proposed budget was approved unanimously, and the meeting adjourned at 9.24 p.m. The next board meeting is scheduled for January 30, 2024. Free to be Free, Why Human Rights Matter by David Mendel Reprinted from The Blind Californian, Fall 2023, Volume 67, Number 4 Human rights matter. They affect every aspect of daily life. Yet, they are gradually eroding in this country and throughout the world. In too many instances, we are seeing hate and intolerance become the norm. What are human rights? Human rights are universal rights we have simply because we are human beings. Unlike civil rights, they are not granted by any state. We are all equally entitled to human rights, regardless of nationality, gender, national or ethnic origin, color, religion, language, disability, or sexual orientation. Human rights are embodied in the 30 Articles of the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, UDHR, which was adopted in 1948. It has become the standard for basic equality and human dignity. Fundamental human rights include everything from the right to life and freedom of movement to the rights to food and water, education, work, health, and liberty. The UDHR was the first legal document to outline the fundamental human rights to be universally protected. It continues to be the foundation of all international human rights law and provides the principles and building blocks of current and future human rights conventions treaties, and other legal instruments.
The UDHR, together with the International Covenant for Civil and Political Rights and the International Covenant for Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, comprise the International Bill of Rights. Human rights are inalienable and should not be taken away, except in specific situations and according to due process. For instance, human rights can be withheld to a certain extent if a person is guilty of a crime. Why Human Rights Matter 1. Human rights ensure that people's basic needs are met because everyone needs and deserves access to health care, food and water, clothing and shelter. 2. Human rights protect vulnerable groups from abuse, such as people of color and LGBTQ. 3. Human rights allow people to stand up to and speak out against societal corruption and abuse. 4. Human rights encourage freedom of speech and expression. 5. Human rights give people the freedom to practice their religion or not practice any religion. 6. Human rights allow people to love whom they choose. 7. Human rights encourage equal work opportunities. 8. Human rights give people access to education. 9. Human rights protect the environment. 10. Human rights provide a universal standard that holds governments accountable. My Right to Vision Through Books by Cheryl Cummings For me, as a blind person, books are my lifeline. Through books, I can learn how to build a garden, what it's like to live in a Parisian neighborhood, climb a mountain, dive in a submarine to explore the seafloor, start a business, and much more. As a blind person, it's not far-fetched to express that books are oftentimes my eyes. Through books, I meet people, delve into situations, and see worlds that my biological eyes do not. Yet, we are living in a time when many people are scared of books. Parents claim they are concerned about the messages books expose their children to, Politicians claim they write legislation banning books because they are responding to the concerns of their constituents. The really confident politicians make it clear that they are banning books because they disagree with the information in the books. We know there are states that are actively facilitating and encouraging banning books. How is this possible in a country which proclaims freedom of speech and freedom of thought? As blind people, why should we care about this issue? No one is banning books that affect us. To date, although there has been some controversy over the existence of Helen Keller, books about her life have not yet been banned. But here is a sample of some of the books on Bard which are banned. The Odyssey by Homer DB88961 BR12113 Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, by Judy Bloom, DB37405, BR07171. The Color Purple, by Alice Walker, DB58842, BR12265. I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, by Maya Angelou, DB24959, 
BR15665. Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, DB12212, BR01093. The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, DB24695. Beloved by Toni Morrison, DB26026, BR16707. The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, DB87441, BR21874. Twilight by Stephanie Meyer, DB62066, BR18146. I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica Sanchez, DB89358. 19 Minutes by Jody Pico, DB64175. The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky, DB75897, BR12551. Beyond Magenta, Transgender Teens Speak Out by Susan Cooklin, DB78523. The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexi, DB6540, BR00585. There are so many more books that can be on this list. The reality is that the majority of books being banned deal with race and racism, people of color, and LGBTQIA+. Throughout the history of the United States, books were banned, and now it is our turn to fight back. Read the books listed above. If they made you see the world differently, made you uncomfortable or question an assumption, take action. Find the group in your neighborhood, city, county, state that is fighting against book banning and get involved. As blind people, we can and must contribute to making America the place where freedom of speech and freedom of thought are truly valued and a reality. ACB of Maine wins the right to accessible electronic absentee ballots by Lynn Merrill with Pauline LaMontagne, Nicholas Judici, and Cheryl Peabody. We submit this article for two reasons. One, to describe how we challenged our state and municipal officials in order to create accessible, electronic absentee ballots for voters who are unable to complete a print ballot. And two, we want to motivate others who have the courage and passion to actively support causes that they believe in, as one, a few, or many, can effect change despite being told no. We are a group of four from Maine. We were at first bonded by acquaintanceships and friendships, but we came together to face the odds of making a huge change that would affect the rights of thousands of people, and we won. We stand together proud and somewhat in awe of the fact that we did it. We actually did it. Together, the four of us stood up against bureaucracy, politics, and our own self-doubts as people with disabilities who too often took no for an answer. By many accounts, Maine leads the country in voting rights. 
it has allowed some form of voting by absentee ballot for decades, is one of only two states allowing people with felony convictions to vote, including those still in prison, was the first state allowing ranked choice voting in both state and federal elections, and consistently boasts some of the highest statewide voter turnout in the nation. However, despite this progressive voting record, until recently, many Mainers still had difficulty or were completely unable to vote independently because the paper-based absentee ballot system was inaccessible to people with visual impairments. This lack of voting access is particularly problematic in Maine, as we are a rural state with limited public transportation and have an aging population, many of whom experience vision loss and associated driving challenges. In the spring of 2020, Americans were immersed in the effects of the COVID pandemic. We were trying to follow the guidelines that were being given to us about masking, distancing, reporting, and cleansing. The July primaries were approaching. In Maine, voting places were being consolidated in municipalities, and our Secretary of State and Governor were urging voters to avoid the risks of physically going to these polling places, and instead to vote by absentee ballot. Their pleas were on television, radio, and newspapers. Good advice to follow. However, Maine did not have accessible electronic absentee ballots for print-disabled voters. The choices were dismal. Abandon the right to vote privately and independently by having someone complete one's absentee ballot for them, or risk one's health by going to a polling place to use the express voting machine. Disability Rights Maine, DRM, took a complaint from one voter who believed that the state of Maine should provide accessible electronic absentee ballots for those voters with print disabilities. There was no question that their fundamental rights to private and independent voting were compromised, especially in light of the encouragement from the Secretary of State and Governor. Four voters with varying degrees of visual impairments ultimately challenged our respective municipal city clerks, as well as the Secretary of State, to develop accessible electronic absentee ballots, but our requests were dismissed. Instead, we were told, one, that it was not possible to use electronic absentee ballots, and two, that if we wanted to vote absentee, we would need to get third-party assistance filling out paper ballots. We all believe that our concerns should have and could have been resolved without litigation, but the dismissal of our requests left us with only one alternative. We joined in a lawsuit against the state and our four respective municipalities for not providing an electronic alternative to the paper absentee ballots. Our request would not have involved inventing the wheel because Maine already had electronic absentee ballots available for access by service members who were residents of Maine but assigned outside of the state. Of note is that those already existing ballots for service members did not include municipal ballots. That would change as a positive yet unintended consequence of the settlement agreement that was to come. In mid-July 2020, we lodged our complaint in the United States District Court for Maine. In Merrill v. Dunlap, Lynn Merrill, Pauline LaMontagne, 
Cheryl Peabody, and Nicholas Judici, argued, as the plaintiffs in Civil Action No. 120, CV 00248, for the right to vote privately and independently by electronic absentee ballot in the November 3, 2020 election and in future elections in the state of Maine. The lawsuit, led by Kristen Aiello and Disability Rights Maine, was based on the premise that we should not have to risk our health, privacy, or independence to vote in the same way that is available to other Mainers, and that was the explicit guidance of our Governor and Secretary of State as the preferred and advised method of doing so. What became obvious from the first hearing in federal court is that the state was not going to fight us on the matter and did actually want to provide a mechanism for accessible absentee voting through the use of electronic ballots, similar to what was already available to state residents deployed in the military. For the process to work, however, there would need to be updates made to the electronic PDF ballot, which was not then accessible, meaning that it would not read correctly with a screen reader. At this point, the Secretary of State's office touted this tentative agreement as a win for Maine's citizens and something that was absolutely a worthy cause. While this was a 180-degree reversal of their previous stance, and it is frustrating that it took a lawsuit to make it happen, the net result is what counts. In the following six weeks, we, the plaintiffs, and a group of volunteer blind beta testers throughout the state worked closely with the state's vendor, who was handling the electronic election content, to help them make ballots work with speech. Given that we are one of two states in the union with ranked choice voting, and there are lots of individual municipalities, this process was not as straightforward as one might think. However, on October 2, 2020, Maine became one of only a few states that had developed a fully accessible electronic absentee ballot voting mechanism that is available to all people with a print disability that limits their use of a traditional paper ballot. An unexpected but positive result of our lawsuit was that the state now needed a new mechanism to monitor the status of electronic absentee ballots being submitted. This led to development and deployment of a new statewide absentee ballot tracking service for the 2020 election and beyond that ultimately benefited all Maine voters. With this system, anybody who requests an absentee ballot, paper or electronic, can use the online portal to track its status throughout the entire process, from request to knowing whether it was accepted or rejected. This tracking system represents an important step in improving election transparency, which hopefully will increase public perception and confidence in the integrity of the absentee voting process. The electronic tracking system has now been used by thousands of Maine voters who had no idea of our fight for accessible electronic absentee ballots, but who benefited from our actions. We reached a settlement agreement prior to the November 2020 general election, which provides the electronic alternative that we sought. Any registered voter with a print disability can now electronically request a fully accessible absentee ballot 
for any reason, complete the ballot online, and return it electronically to the Secretary of State. Most importantly, the entire end-to-end -end process can be done completely independently. The quotes in this article were taken from another article about this process, One Vote for Me, Many Votes for Maine Kind, which has a detailed description of one plaintiff's experience and can be found here, tinyurl.com slash ms numerals 42 rx numerals 78. Plaintiffs, Lynn Merrill, Nicholas Judici, Cheryl Peabody, Pauline LaMontagne. Washington Council of the Blind's Work on Accessible Voting 2023 by Judy Brown. Editor's Note. Judy Brown is chair of Washington Council of the Blind's Government Affairs Committee. End of note. Over the last several years, the Washington Council of the Blind, WCB, has continued its efforts in making voting in Washington state accessible to all. At the October 2020 WCB Virtual Convention, we passed a resolution to support the work to make voting in Washington state fully accessible to blind and visually impaired persons. Since that time, members of WCB have been active participants in various state and county committees to push forward the agenda of accessible voting. Washington is a mail-in ballot state. If you cannot see and read the paper ballot sent to you, you have a couple of options. You can have a sighted person assist you, thus eliminating your independence and anonymity. You can travel to a polling place and use an accessible voting unit. All you need to do is find transportation, arrive at a time when the polling place is open, hope the machine is working properly, and if you need assistance, hope that someone has been trained to assist you. Or you can do what many visually impaired people end up doing, not vote. Currently, there is a bill in the Washington State Legislature, HB 1475, that would allow for secure electronic ballot marking and submission. WCB and voting officials from several counties in Washington have been actively supporting this bill. WCB members have given testimony in Olympia. WCB members have submitted written testimony and lobbied their representatives. But there is a huge obstacle, the Secretary of State. Representatives from the Secretary of State's office testified against this bill. Non-specific security concerns were mentioned, but not defined during their testimony. WCB understands there are some security and verification concerns. We encourage the Secretary of State to engage in more detailed conversations to help problem-solve these concerns. WCB members reached out to the Secretary of State several times to discuss the issues. As a result, a secure and accessible voting work group was formed. The group is comprised of county election officials, members of the visually impaired community, including WCB, and representatives from the Secretary of State's office. The group has met monthly since September. At the November meeting, we were informed that Secretary Hobbs still does not support any legislation at this time and wants other suggestions. 
We suggested offering travel vouchers to assist those who need to travel many miles to get to a polling place that offers an accessible voting unit, AVU. We were told there is no money in the budget for this idea. We suggested county officials offer to bring an AVU to groups of people such as senior centers and at meetings to facilitate voting. We were told that there is no money and not enough personnel in some counties. We suggested reaching out to the Help America Vote grant program for funding. This suggestion is still pending action. WCB continues to support the idea of electronic ballot marking and submission. We believe that creating a voting portal will go a long way to help support many visually impaired voters. This type of secure portal will also help other disabled persons who have mobility and transportation issues. This method will also solve many signature validation issues that plagued signed ballots each election cycle. WCB continues to reach out to like-minded groups on this issue. We have reached out to Tusk Philanthropies and the Mobile Voting Project to discuss their Vote Hub software. Members of WCB have been part of the testing for this software. We have worked with Democracy Live for several years to test and give input on their voting solution. WCB will continue to actively work to find a workable solution for accessible voting for the blind and visually impaired in Washington State. Equipping the Blind, Saving Lives Around the World by James Beam Imagine trying to cross the street with your family and little ones without a cane. Think of the places you have recently traveled. Maybe you went to school, work, church, or visited family or friends. None of these examples of independent travel would be possible without the basic tool of autonomy, the white cane. The You Cane Give started in 2015, after James Bohm realized when selling customized canes through Custom Cane that many blind people had extra canes in closets, under beds, and in attics. Many were just throwing away their broken canes. In James's research in his psychology program at Middle Tennessee State University and Peabody College of Vanderbilt, he learned of the shortage of white canes in areas of the world with the largest population of blind people. As James learned on his trip to Kenya and collaborating with the African Union of the Blind, there is a white cane famine. Not only are the blind without this basic tool of independence, but the inaccessibility of canes is costing people their lives. Drivers aren't able to identify people as blind due to the lack of a white cane. So, stories of individuals getting injured or worse killed are unfortunately common. James and his wife Wendy saw a cycle that needed to be broken. The blind do not have the basic tools nor the training, so they are not able to travel independently. Thus, they stay home and are often disowned by their family or tribe and considered cursed and left to beg on the streets. In turn, the community observes the blind as a burden to society and incapable of being contributing members of society. The stigmas of the blind are reinforced as observers see the blind person's basic human needs unmet. How can such a cycle be broken?
Are these observations truly accurate and depict the abilities of the blind? Far from it. We know that, as with any professional, whether construction worker or mechanic, the job and basic tasks cannot be performed without the appropriate tools and training. Do we judge a mechanic with poor workmanship if he does not have the tools? So it is with the blind. All we need is the tools and the training on how to use those tools. Then there is no stopping us. James and Wendy wanted to break the cycle by equipping and training the blind with the basic tool and representation of independence, the white cane. If the community sees the blind traveling independently and attending school, church, and contributing to society, the cycle will be broken. Despite the pandemic, UCane Give has continued to expand with international partners, disbursement of canes and other tools, as well as sending teams to bring a suite of services that include canes, mobility training, white cane repair kits, and now solar-powered talking players that include the Bible, stories, and a mobility training guide. Mental health services and peer mentoring have also been incorporated. In these eight short years, YCG has served over 31 countries with over 2,066 canes and 451 solar-powered talking book players. Many of the canes distributed are donated by other blind people. So, the blind helping the blind around the world. Think of the 11-year-old girl from Ecuador whose parents never allowed their daughter to travel outside the home because she didn't have a cane. Her parents would actually carry her when leaving the home. Now, with her cane, she has experienced a whole new world outside her house and surroundings. Moses, a wartime veteran from Kenya, lost his sight during a battle. He was disowned by his family. A new white cane, a few hours of mobility training intervention, and connecting with a fellow blind brother from around the world changed his life. Today, Moses is a regular analyst on Citizen TV, advocate for the disabled population and vets, and pushing for representation in his country's government. Recently, he was honored to begin serving as a principal advisor for a high official within the Kenyan government. He also has a band that has become popular in his region. Look at all the things that have given him meaning and purpose, and it all started with a person showing a personal interest and the white cane. Think about the recent story of Elsa, who recently took a bundle of canes to Ethiopia, her homeland. The children in a school for the blind received their first canes. The children commented that, for the first time, they felt safe enough to leave the walls of their school's compound and explore the city around them. We have seen children and adults who have never owned a cane. Some have used makeshift sticks. In Kenya, James and Karen Nelson, a mobility instructor from Tennessee, when visiting Nakuru, Kenya, heard several clanking sounds as a group was approaching a school. The folks from a neighboring tribe had found old iron water line piping and cut them to use as canes. One elderly lady's pipe had a rounded, curved section where the pipe had been apparently bent for its original use to supply water. 
These people broke out in song and thanks upon receiving their very own cane. Yes, their very own cane. It is common in South Africa that a home or a center for the blind will have several students, but only one cane for them all to share. One story came from Mexico, where Billy gave a cane to an elderly man in a Mexican village. A year later, Billy ran into the elderly man again. The straight cane, which originally went up to his collarbone, was now worn down to just below his waist. Needless to say, Billy gave the man a new cane appropriate for his size. These are just a few stories of the many we have heard or personally seen. There are a shortage of canes and also mobility instructors. Governments do not want to invest in manufacturing canes or providing mobility services to the blind. If we can break that cycle of stigmas, maybe one day that will change. In the spring of 2023, YCG sent a team to the Athlone School for the Blind in Cape Town, South Africa, where the suite of services was instituted. All 305 students received a cane. A large number received mobility training, and all received the solar-powered players that contained the Bible in their native tongue or English, stories, and the mobility training guide. A follow-up trip occurred in October, which included three certified O&M specialists and a special education teacher to work with the students, parents, and teachers to provide follow-up training and support the single mobility instructor assigned to the school. In eight years, we have accomplished a lot. YCG has established a strong board consisting of certified mobility instructors, ophthalmologists, special education teachers, financial advisors, accessibility advisors, and a couple who recently founded a training center in their state. Partnerships have been made with organizations such as the World Blind Union, African Union of the Blind, Ambutech, LSNS, to name a few. But there is so much work yet to do. We need more canes and donations to continue to tackle the white cane famine. Not only does a cane equip the blind and breaks the cycle, but also saves lives. Become part of the movement. Stay informed of our progress. Reach out if you want to get involved. Our website is www.youcanegive.org. People of all different backgrounds, cultures, philosophies, and organizations have supported this initiative. We want to thank all who have contributed in some way. All profits of Custom Cane go toward You Cane Give, which has been very helpful in funding the initiative. Don't let your old canes go to waste. If it is broken, we can repair or modify it. Together, we can empower the blind one cane at a time. Progress Over Perfection by Haley Agers When I began this season of my life seven years ago, I had no idea what I was doing or all I would walk away with. The season I am referring to is my time serving as chair of the Washington Council of the Blind, WCB Families Committee. What qualified me for this position? Back then, 
I thought of myself as a former occupational therapist who had worked with children with varying disabilities and may have some knowledge about what working with blind children would be like. I also had the experience of being a blind child myself and now raising two amazing children of my own. Because of those experiences, I thought I might be an okay choice for the chair position and was willing to take on the challenge with big plans and big ideas. I had no clue what this would entail or how much it would grow, both in size and for me in my own personal journey. Now, seven years later, I want to share where we began and where I end my time as I step down as chair at the end of 2023. First, let me say that none of what has been accomplished would have been possible without an amazing group of committee members and the partnerships that we have formed over the years. At our first youth track, held as part of our WCB State Convention, we had about nine families attending. We were thrilled beyond words. Some of those youth are now in college, pursuing medical degrees and married with children of their own. We try to keep in touch with as many of them as possible, at times reaching out to them to come back and serve as mentors or leaders at our events. With each year, our youth track grew, and the connections we made with the loving, hope-filled families has been priceless. This year, I am proud to announce that we had 29 youth attend our state convention and take part in the youth sessions. Many of them were accompanied by their parents and sighted siblings, bringing our numbers to over 70. The theme this year was The Secrets to Success, and throughout the weekend, both youth and parents learned about the importance of good communication as one of those secrets. Our youth sessions include topics like what to do when it all falls apart and redefining success. Parent-oriented sessions included a small group geared toward dads and the important role they play in communicating expectations and showing up in a compassionate, encouraging way, and hosting a spa night for the moms to say thank you and please take care of you first so you are better able to be supportive when your child needs you. Our sessions are often led by youth mentors, and those are a huge success because they are young people all speaking the same language, which happens to be Gen Z, and I have little understanding of most of what they speak. Our meals together are very intentional in the way we conduct them and the content we cover. They are an opportunity to bring others in from the community who offer various services, such as library services, scholarships offered by WCB, opportunities to get involved in committees like our award-winning WCB Newsline publication, services the Washington State School for the Blind offers, and more. During these meals, we challenge the youth to step outside of their comfort zones by practicing mobility skills, serving themselves at a buffet, and advocating for themselves when they have a need. It's a beautiful thing to observe a child who arrives on Friday sticking close by their parent's side and looking to that parent to assist them with many tasks, transform into a child who, even after the first session, is excited about whether they will be able to come back the following year. 
Long-lasting friendships are formed, with many karaoke songs performed together, lots of laughing and sometimes crying. These youth see there is a community of both blind adults and youth who see and accept them as they are and meet them wherever they are on this journey. This community will be there to hug them, give them resources, equip them with skills, and be their biggest cheerleaders when they struggle to believe in themselves. It's not about comparing our stories, although meeting somebody who gets you and with whom you can share commonalities is nice. It's not about focusing on limitations, but instead learning to appreciate your individual strengths. It's not about doing life perfect, but always making progress. We have been blessed to partner with our state agency, the Washington Department of Services for the Blind, who are able to help with funding certain portions of the program, providing staff members who already work with these families in some capacity, and helping us choose a program that addresses the most common concerns that both parents and youth have. We show up with a space to connect these families with individuals who may have been walking this walk for many years help plan topics that we know will inspire people to think outside of the box, and give hope to parents who may have questions about what life for their blind or low-vision child may look like. This partnership is invaluable and has allowed us to grow exponentially. I write this article to encourage each of you to also think outside of the box. How can you bring in more youth to your state conventions? What will it take and who will need to be involved to start planning some fun, informative events around your local chapters? And how do we get these youth more engaged and excited about attending a National American Council of the Blind convention? Are You a Thermometer or Thermostat Leader? by Randy Conley Reprinted from Leading with Trust tinyurl.com slash numerals 57VZ numeral 6BCT. When it comes to leadership, are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Mark, my friend and colleague, posed that odd question to me this week. He went on to explain the difference between the two. A thermometer reflects the temperature of the environment. It simply reacts to what's happening around it. If the temperature is hot, it tells you so. If it's cold, the thermometer reflects that reality as well. It's a dumb instrument in the sense that it doesn't contain intelligent, multi-purpose functionality. It has one purpose and one purpose only. A thermostat, on the other hand, regulates the environment. It sets the desired temperature of the room and actively works to maintain it within a given range. If the temperature rises above the goal, the thermostat signals the air conditioner to crank up and cool the room down. If the temperature falls below the goal, the thermostat causes the heater to turn on in order to warm the room up. The thermostat is intelligent in the sense it's always monitoring the environment, and if the temperature gets too hot or cold, it decides what to do to correct the situation. Thermometer leaders react to their surroundings. When the tension gets high and people are on edge, these leaders are often seen losing their cool. 
They become irritable, harsh, demanding, critical, impatient, and maybe even lose their temper and yell or curse. Thermometer leadership doesn't inspire trust and commitment with people. It erodes it. Thermostat leaders, however, constantly have a pulse on the morale, productivity, stress level, and environmental conditions of their team. When the temperature gets hot because the team is under pressure of a heavy workload, resources are scarce, or pending deadlines are causing stress, they cool things off by acting as the calming influence with the team. They take time to listen to the concerns of their team members and provide the necessary direction and support that's needed to help the team achieve its goals. Thermostat leaders also alleviate pressure on their team by mixing in some lighthearted fun at opportune times. Likewise, when work is slow and people are prone to just go through the motions, thermostat leaders get their teams refocused on the vision, purpose, and goals of the team. Because they are actively monitoring the environment of their teams, they know when the team needs to be challenged with new goals and priorities, or when they just need a friendly kick in the pants to stay focused on their current initiatives. Thermostat leaders build trust and confidence with their followers, whereas thermometer leaders erode trust. When times get wild and crazy, people want to see their leaders react with calm, focused, and determined leadership. They want them to set the tone for how the team should react during tough times and navigate the rough seas ahead. That's a tough challenge for leaders because they are team members themselves and are subject to the same and oftentimes more and different stressors as those experienced by the team. So, how would you respond to this question? Are you a thermometer or thermostat leader? Affiliate News CCLVI offers Scheigert Scholarships the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI, annually awards four scholarships in the amount of $3,000 each to full-time college students, two incoming freshmen, an undergraduate and a graduate student, all of whom must be low vision, maintain a strong GPA, and be involved in school and or local community activities. Application materials must be received by 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, March 15, 2024. Scholarship monies will be awarded for the 2024-2025 academic year. To access the guidelines and application, visit cclvi.org and click on the scholarships link. Special Interest Affiliate Spotlight. Turn a new page. Join Lua in 2024. By Carla Rushevel, President. The Library Users of America, LUA, is a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Read on to learn about LUA activities and how you can be a part of our growing organization. LUA at ACB. LUA events at the 2024 American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention will include informative programs and discussions related to books and library services. Meet a talking book narrator up close and personal. Learn about the latest book-related technology. Discuss areas of concern with NLS decision-makers. Library Without Walls LUA brings its programs within the reach of every person across the United States. Our Library Without Walls conference calls on the Zoom platform 
are an opportunity to share good books on a designated topic. Calls are scheduled on the third Wednesday of every other month and are open to all. A complete list of books shared at each Library Without Walls event is compiled and posted on our Lua members' email list shortly after the call. Lua Link Lua Link calls are presented at least twice a year. Speakers share important information about library issues and answer questions from participants. For example, the first Lua Link call of 2022 featured Jason Broughton, Director of the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. In 2024, under the direction of Lua Vice President Jane Corona, Lua plans to expand this program to include virtual training and Q&A sessions on the use of the e-readers available from NLS libraries. Lua Ledger The Lua Ledger is published at least twice a year and is available to members in Braille, large print, and on NLS audio cartridge. Digital formats are posted on our Lua members' email list, and back issues will be available from our new website, now under development. Lua Email Lists Lua sponsors two email lists. Library Talk is open to members and non-members alike, and includes announcements of Lua events and related topics. Open to everyone, you may subscribe by sending a blank message to library-talk plus sign subscribe at acblists.org, L-I-B-R-A-R-Y-T-A-L-K, plus sign, S-U-B-S-C-R-I-B-E, at acblists.org. Lua Members is a low-traffic list where our members receive digital formats of the Lua Ledger and book lists from Library Without Walls. Other library and book-related announcements are permitted. Lua Membership Membership in Lua is open to everyone and is only $12 for one year or $150 for a life membership. Join now and help us continue our good work on behalf of all who like to read. Pay by credit card by calling 502-897-1472 or make check payable to Library Users of America and mail to Adam Rushevel, Treasurer, 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Be sure to include your name, address, phone number, and email when paying by check. Lua has chapters in California, Kentucky, and Texas. If you live in or have ties to one of these states, we strongly urge you to join Lua through your chapter. Contact California by calling 909-675-7415, Kentucky at 502-897-1472, or Texas at 281-438-9665. For membership questions, call us at 502-897-1472 or email us at Carla, C-A-R-L-A, numerals 40206 at gmail.com. Thank you in advance for being part of the Library Users of America. Here and There, edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACBE Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned.
To submit items for this column, send a message to slovering at acb.org or phone the national office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. NBP's Braille All-Stars National Braille Press, NBP, raised more than $330,000 for Braille literacy at its annual gala with the help of their Braille All-Stars. The gala was held on Friday, November 17, 2023 at Fenway Park in Boston. The Braille All-Stars, many of whom are blind and low vision, are Braille users whose lives have been positively impacted by the use of the raised dot system which they read with their fingers. The 2023 Braille All-Stars are Edward Bell, Ruston, Louisiana Chris Devon, Quincy, Massachusetts Judith Dixon, Washington, D.C. Larry Hale, Cambridge, Massachusetts Lisa Maria Martinez, Union City, California Paul Paravano, Arlington, Massachusetts Gina Quintanilla, Burlington, Massachusetts Paul Schrader, Silver Spring, Maryland Janet Ulwick-Saka, Gloucester, Massachusetts Future Braille All-Stars are the next generation of Braille advocates Sanibel Davis, age 8, Andover, Massachusetts Matthew D. Brigard, age 14, Gloucester, Massachusetts David Ducasse, age 9, Malden, Massachusetts ScriptTalk mobile app now available on BlindShell Classic 2 phones The popular ScriptTalk mobile app is now available inside the BlindShell Classic 2 and all future versions of the phone. This edition will allow the BlindShell phone to read ScriptTalk talking labels available at no cost at thousands of participating pharmacies throughout the U.S. and Canada. The small ScriptTalk talking label is placed onto the prescription medication by a pharmacist, typically on the bottom of the bottle. By holding the tag up to the back of a blind shell phone, the patient can now hear all the label information out loud through the app. A ScriptTalk station reader is also available free on loan for patients who prefer not to use an app. For more information, visit tinyurl.com slash wvn numeral 4 K, numerals 549. New from National Braille Press. Now available from National Braille Press is Getting Started with Google Suite 2023. It's available in Braille, BRF, and Word. The Mystic Access Team guides you through downloading, installing, navigating, and using Gmail, Chrome, Drive, Docs, Sheets, Slides, Meet, and Calendar on a PC with helpful notes about Mac and mobile devices as well. For a preview, check out the table of contents at tinyurl.com slash numeral 5 bbbjes numeral 7. Also available are the iOS 16 reference card and the Algebra 1 spark chart. New in the children's section is Sofia Valdez Future Prez by Andrea Beatty. It's available in Contracted Braille, UEB, for ages 3 to 7. For more information, call toll-free 1-800-548-7323 or visit shop.nbp.org. High-Tech Swap Shop For sale, 
Merlin Ultra HD with 24-inch monitor that swivels. In immaculate condition, still in the box. Asking $895. Contact Debbie Shook at 614-402-3642 or email her shookdeb at gmail.com. S-H-O-O-K-D-E-B at gmail.com. ACB Officers President Deb Cook-Lewis, First Term, 2025 1131 Liberty Drive, Clarkston, Washington, 99403 First Vice President David Trott, First Term, 2025 1018 East Street South, Talladega, Alabama, 35160 Second Vice President Ray Campbell, First term, 2025. 216 Prestwick Road, Springfield, Illinois, 62702-3330. Secretary, Denise Colley. Final term, 2025. 26131 Travis Brook Drive, Richmond, Texas, 77406-3990. Treasurer, Michael Garrett. First term, 2025. 7806 Chaseway Drive, Missouri City, Texas, 77489-2333. Immediate Past President, Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. ACB Board of Directors. Christopher Bell, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, first term, 2024. Donna Brown, Romney, West Virginia, first term, 2024. Gabriel Lopez Cafati, Miami Lakes, Florida, first term, 2026. Cecily Laney Nipper, Covington, Georgia, partial term, 2024. Terry Pacheco, Silver Spring, Maryland, first term, 2026. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, second term, 2024. Rachel Schroeder, Springfield, Illinois, first term, 2026. Kenneth Semyon Sr., Beaumont, Texas, first term, 2024. Connie Sims, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, first term, 2026. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, second term, 2026. ACB Board of Publications. Penny Reader, Chair, Montgomery Village, Maryland, Third term, 2025. Jeff Bishop, Tucson, Arizona. Partial term, 2024. Cheryl Cummings, Seattle, Washington. Second term, 2025. Zelda Gebhard, Edgeley, North Dakota. Second term, 2024. Cachet Wells, Jacksonville, Florida. First term, 2024. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACB eForum may be accessed by email on the ACB website via download from the webpage in Word, plain text, or Braille-ready file, or by phone at 518-906-1820. To subscribe to the email version, contact Sharon Lovering, S-L-O-V-E-R-I-N-G, at acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail, in Braille, large print, and LS-style digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone. 
518-906-1820. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from https colon slash slash pinecast.com slash feed slash acb dash braille dash forum dash and dash e dash forum.